You are listening to a podcast from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. So why don't we get started? Uh, we're going to have a few stragglers today because of the, uh, the weather, but thank you for braving the cold and the rain and the snow. Uh, I'm Milan Vaishnav. I'm an associate here at the Endowment uh, with the South Asia program, and thank you all for coming today. We are very excited to have uh, Eduardo Zepeda uh, from UNDP today to release uh, a brand new report. There are copies outside, a brand new Carnegie report called Employing India, Guaranteeing Jobs for the Rural Poor. Um, this is something that Eduardo started working on uh, some time ago. He was a, a fellow here, I believe, in, uh, left here in 2009, around then. Um, and we're very excited to put out this report on, on, a, on a very important topic. So as many of you might know, that the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Program, uh, which is quite a, quite a mouthful, is um, really a milestone in social policy uh, in India and really throughout the world. It's one of the largest, I think the largest, social safety net program uh, in the globe. Um, it was... Uh, started in 2005 under the premise of, of guaranteeing a right to the rural poor of 100 days of, of paid labor. Um, and I think it's a good time to sort of take stock of this program for a couple of reasons. One, it has been a, a flagship social program of the ruling uh, UPA government, the Congress-led government. And as, uh, as elections are on the horizon in 2014, Many people are going to be uh, looking back at this program and others like it to try to assess how effective this program uh, has been uh, for alleviating poverty and helping to reduce unemployment. Uh, number two, uh, I don't need to tell this crowd this, but of course India is going through a very difficult economic period uh, with uh, rising and uh, unsustainable fiscal deficits. And so a lot of attention is being paid to social welfare spending. Uh, and it's going to receive greater, greater scrutiny in the, in the months and years to come. And so the extent to which programs such as Norega can be shown to be effective and, and delivering something of real value to the rural poor uh, and helping the economy, um, that will help to sustain momentum for these programs. Um, let me... Uh, just start off by saying a few words about Eduardo and Salim, and I'm going to turn it over uh, to Eduardo. Um, he is currently the Interregional Policy Coordinator of the Development Policy and Analysis Division at the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs. He was uh, previously uh, a senior associate here with our Trade, Equity, and Development Program. And prior to Simon Carnegie, had worked at UNDP uh, uh, at the International Poverty Center. And to my left is uh, Dr. Salim Jahan, who is director of the, of the poverty practice uh, at the UNDP and has held a number uh, of senior uh, positions uh, within the UN, uh, including uh, helping to run its Human Development Report Office and uh, is the author of, uh, I had to sort of take a second look when I saw this, six books and more than 150 articles uh, in, in academic and policy journals um, around the world. And we did not coordinate, but we happened to be wearing very similar ties this morning, which I <laughs> promise we did not arrange in advance. Um, so Eduardo is going to talk for about 25 to 30 minutes, um, and then I'm going to turn it over to Salim, who's going to offer some comments, and then we'll open it up for hopefully a, 
a, a conversation with all of you. Thanks very much. Well, thanks very much for the introduction. Um, the words that really saved me a lot of the <coughs> situating the study into the Indian uh, current situation. Uh, I want to thank uh, uh, Frederick for uh, uh, his support and um, Anne Carnegie uh, as a whole, especially George, for the continued support to finish this report that has a long uh, period, more than nine months. This is uh, the yardstick. Uh, but uh, I think it came out in a, in a good time, so uh, let's make a, a, I'm going to get into the basic points of uh, the program, then what is that we contributed directly in terms of evaluation of the program, and what are the, the consequences. I'm going to try to be as brief as possible so we have more time for discussion. Um, the, the, the first point is that uh, the program uh, started in 2005 and has provided uh, an important, uh, an impressive number of uh, uh, jobs covering around 50 million people uh, in 2010 and 11, uh, which is more than doubling his uh, initial figure in the first year. So it expanded rapidly. That's important to keep in mind. And the work days is not only uh, the, the households that are offered a job, but the work days that have been arranged within the scheme also grew rapidly to uh, very large figures uh, in the order of two and a half billion work days. So those are impressive figures. Uh, and the average days per person, is, it reached about 50 days. Average, uh, per, sorry, it's not per person, per household in the year 2009-2010. This is an important uh, point to remember because it, you said, you mentioned rightly, it guarantees 100 days. So it only goes to half of it. So there are a number of reasons that we might discuss later on. I'm not going to get into why that, that is happening, but that's a very important element of the program. And also very important and often not associated directly with the program, but I, I along with my co-authors, associated with the overall strategy to uh, poverty and rural poverty in particular, is that the average wage paid by the program continuously increased. So that's a, a, an important uh, element to take into account. Now, at what cost? And I put cost, uh, uh, I, say, I hinted that it's not really a cost. Uh, so what we have is that uh, the bars are the, the uh, amount of money in terms of billions of rupees, and the line shows you the percent of GDP that it represents. So the total budget of the program uh, doesn't reach... 0.6% uh, of GDP. So even if it's all those millions, it's a big country, so it doesn't really make a big, big difference. Uh, if one compares the, the program, which is the immediate comparison that one has in mind, with the very large uh, 
poverty programs of, let's say, Bolsa Familia in Brazil, the cash transfer programs, or the Oportunidades uh, cash transfer program of Mexico that cover the entire poor uh, population, they cost around 1% of GDP, 1.5% of GDP. So compared to those, it's still below that. Uh, and what are the achievements? Uh, of course, if you set yourself to create jobs, you're going to create jobs, right? But uh, the achievement is that it's covering a large number of households. You can assume if, the, if they are covering only the poor rural households, they are close to reaching all poor rural households. That's important. So in terms of relative dimension, it's as important as Bolsa Familia or as important as opportunities. Now, it's good to remember now that India, income per capita is much smaller than Brazil's of Mexico. Another important aspect that, uh, is that it is reducing poverty, and we provide figures in the, uh, in the study why this is happening. Another important achievement which has gone beyond expectations and has gone beyond what you can expect if you do any kind of modeling to predict female participation in a program like that, the program has outperformed any prediction you can do with the most serious econometric or general equilibrium model that you can imagine. So that's very important. And third, according to uh, evaluations that we review, it's creating some useful assets. So those are important achievements uh, that we want to highlight. If we want to go in terms of more detail of what is the program doing, in terms of poverty reduction, has reduced reportedly stress migration. That is not long-term migration. That's not the migration that would occur regardless of whatever, just because the economy is growing, is developing, and then it is becoming less rural and more urban. No, that's not been changing. It's changing the, the migration that is uh, done in desperation when you don't have any other option. That has reduced, has increased local wages. That's very important. Has increased food intake, education, and health expenditures as uh, in the households that have participated in the program. In terms of its social inclusion aspects, female participation already mentioned, and has reached the poor mainly, and among the poor, uh, it has, we can say, has reached the poorest, uh, which in the Indian case are, can be identified by caste. Now, in terms of long-term poverty reduction, the conclusion that we came, this is a difficult area, but after reviewing the evidences, the, the studies that have been done, is that the quality of assets can be assumed to be average for an Indian context. That is, it's not creating state-of-the-art assets in rural, uh, in poor rural India, but it's not creating below infra-quality assets either. There are failures, there are great achievements, but the average is on the average, on the national average. That's important to retain. So it's not underperforming. And 
what is important because of the methodology, these assets tend to be locally relevant, which is an important feature because sometimes they are relevant for evaluation purposes, centrally, central government purposes, but not for the, uh, for the local uh, people. And this seem to be relevant for the local people. Okay. Now, what are the criticisms? It has been uh, subject to huge debate. Uh, initially, great opposition from many quarters, including the economist, uh, which is basically, uh, if you want to give cash to the poor to solve uh, poverty problems, there are less expensive ways to do it. Uh, projects are basically a waste of time doing, uh, in one of the journals said, uh, doing castles with sand. Uh, you are actually, what, what you are really doing is disrupting labor markets. And this is a country of corruption. And basically what you are doing, you are feeding corruption. Uh, we address each of these issues and look at the available evidence. Uh, I'm not going to get into that, except we are going to touch a little bit in the important issue, which is where we can say a little bit more on the disruption of labor markets. This is an important thing because labor markets are the ultimate engine of growth and development. And if you are disrupting them with a program that attempts to solve poverty in and is looking carefully in the short term, but you are disrupting labor markets, then you are basically uh, limiting your long-term possibilities. So that's... Uh, uh, what we are set for. And what is that we do? We do uh, an economic ex-ante evaluation doing an economy-wide uh, model to look at what are the short-term macroeconomic cost and benefits, and that's what is, might make it relevant for the current discussions. What are the long-term positive negative macroeconomic consequences? And what are the direct and indirect employment consequences? Finally, this is very important, what are the distribution consequences of one such program? Okay, now the program uh, is addressing rural poverty reduction, and I would say it has three major components. It has a, it's, it selects employment to act on poverty, and not cash transfers, and not uh, rural development, and not any other program. And what it does is works program, uh, that it pays at a minimum wage, but also increases the minimum wage laterally and goes by the guaranteed scheme, which is I'm not going to decide centrally how, much, how many jobs here and there, but I'm going to respond to demand. Now, they, that's a big issue, the guaranteed. It's a big issue, uh, but that's the design. The philosophy is that it's right, rights-based. It's a community-driven, and this is a very important, uh, although it's not written in the law, this is the program results into a negotiation, local negotiations, by which uh, they agree to run the program only in the dry season. So a lot of the disruption of labor markets is prevented by design. Uh, finally, uh, long term, uh, it creates agriculture-related public works that increase productivity in agriculture and uh, attempt to regress land degradation. Okay. Uh, so what we do is an economic-wide model, and basically we do two things. One is we look at the employment side of the program, which is just creating jobs. Uh, and what we do is just simulate 
what we have in, in, in the last two years of the program, a 0.6% increase in government expenditures, which is the total budget. We assume that it's fully financed by taxes on income. Uh, and as a result, we don't, we don't increase taxes. The model gives the, the needed raise in taxes, which is about 2% in the, uh, in the tax rate, which is quite manageable. The uh, second simulation, separate of the first one, is to increase the productivity of land in, in, in about 1.5%, equally distributed across all land holdings. That is, we don't assume any changes in that. We just take the data as it is and assume the productivity increases. And we don't assume any explicit budget like for, for that second uh, story. We don't assume any second uh, budget allocation for the increase in labor in productivity because already taken into account in the first simulation. And what are the results? These are the macroeconomic results. So what we have is that basically the the jobs part increases GDP, increases final demand, but it has a cost. Uh, the cost is a reduction in private consumption. Okay? Land productivity, that has increasing GDP, increasing final demand, and increases all throughout. Because you are basically increasing productivity, and you are not running any cost in terms of budget. The, the, cost, the, the budgetary cost will be here if you want to link them, okay? Now, in terms of uh, welfare, welfare <coughs> is here, it's measured by consumption, but after taking into account all possible effects that you can have, so basically tells you how better off you are in your consumption before and after the simulation. Uh, and what we have is, of course, okay, of, of course, the program increases uh, welfare among the rural poor because that's what we are simulating. Okay. Um, uh, so, increases welfare among the rural poor. Uh, it decreases welfare for the rural rich and the rich urban. You can see that. You cannot see it, perhaps, from, from distance, but also increases welfare for the urban poor. Okay, this part is, of, is part of the simulation, <coughs> driven by the simulation. This is the increase in taxes, partially. But this is uh, something driven by the consequences, the economic consequences of the program, as well as the impact on the urban poor. Now, rising land productivity, that increases welfare throughout. Everybody wins. But the important part to, to keep in mind here is that the increase in the welfare of the rich, rural and urban, is higher than the increase in the welfare of the rural poor or the urban poor. That is, it concentrates welfare. 
it concentrates income. It has that negative aspect, but only in relative terms because it reduces uh, poverty because it increases welfare and consumption among the poor, rural and urban. And basically does that because an increase in land productivity reduces the price of food. And by reducing the price of food, you, uh, you improve poverty. Okay, this looks at the, the impact um, Okay. Yeah, it is right. The, the title is wrong, but the, the graph is right. This is the, the impact on welfare uh, of the creation of jobs. And here, these are economic consequences of running the program. It's not the Nariga jobs that are being created. Uh, the female participation that we see here which is very impressive in the Nariga, it doesn't count here. It's just the, the after you run Nariga, what is the impact in jobs in the economy? Okay, so this is the indirect economic consequences of running the program, not the what you gain by running the, con the program. So the consequences of running the program on labor markets are in general positive or virtuous, as we call it. You increase rural labor income much uh, and reduce urban labor income. You increase the labor income of the literate and you reduce the one of the graduates. <coughs> uh, some friends will not be uh, pleased by the result, but uh, you have to accept that this improves income distribution. Females not enrolled in the program improve also so their labor income. And if you measure in terms of uh, a caste, you will see these are the two most deprived castes. You see that they are doing okay. This is not a straight uh, positive uh, distribution. But in general, the ones that are doing the worst uh, uh, in terms of uh, poverty are the ones that are having a higher increase in labor income as economic consequence. Now, in terms of land productivity, the change in land, in land productivity has the, uh, the opposite redistributive effect on labor markets. That is, here, urban labor increases, rural decreases. Graduate increases, illiterary goes down. Uh, males increase much more than females' labor income. And here, other uh, increase much more than the uh, STs, which are the, the words of caste. So you have on one side a positive impact from job creation. On the other side, a negative economic consequence uh, from land productivity. But you have to remember that this effect is under uh, an overall expansionary effect on the economy. Okay. So, in sum, what is that uh, that we that our, our evaluation says? That the program has positive economic consequences. Okay. GDP increases in both cases. It has a cost that uh, increases taxes. Well, you can finance it differently and you can run simulations differently. But if you finance it, 
in a way that you will see the immediate cost, then you increase taxes. When you do that, you see that the increase in tax is not very large. So it's only in, in the tax rates increase by 2%. So that's not a lot of cost. <coughs> uh, after, we, we can, if, you, if you look at, let's say, if we run, instead of increasing income tax, which is a, an observation that uh, Milan did to us, and if you do the financing of the program by raising um, sales tax, you will not get as a as nice redistribution impact, but you will not change the direction of the impact. So that's important to keep in mind. Now, uh, the main cost of job creation is the reduction in private consumption. That will be the main cost. Uh, but it's quite manageable. Uh, uh, productivity increases has positive economic effects and long-term economic effects. Uh, why long-term economic effects? Because the expansion in the economy could allow to reduce tax rates, for example, or keep tax rates and use that money to subsidize or to create incentives for further productive investments, which could, on the long run, uh, self-finance this program or pro programs like this. Uh, the negative consequence is, of course, the redis relative redistribution, but I mean that's uh, uh, something that you have to, to bear in mind. Uh, now, the consequences of job creation program on labor markets are positive and virtuous. That's very important. So we didn't see any disruption, any major disruption in labor markets. For one thing, uh, what I said is we are far from the 100 days. Okay, And if you look at the figures, and it only runs in the dry season, right? So if you look at the figures of what is the proportion of wages in the entire year that the program represents when running at full scale, you come with a figure of 2.5%, not bigger than 5%. So it's difficult to disrupt a labor market with an intervention of significantly less than 5%. So the program, as huge as it is, as much media attention that might be getting, as a lot of uh, a black ink in terms of criticism, is not that big and it's not gonna create that much of a havoc in labor markets. <coughs> uh, finally, productivity, the increase in, in land productivity has the major, major and very important effect of reducing the price uh, of food which reduces poverty. Um, throughout, after all the economic, positive economic consequences, it can self-finance itself over the long run. We can discuss also what impact has in terms of land degradation that could be also useful, but this is something more to discuss uh, uh, later on, uh, and it's something we didn't look uh, with any detail uh, in the study. Thanks very much. Thank you, Eduardo. Over to you. Um, thank you, um, Milan.
First, I would like to thank uh, both Milan and the Carnegie for inviting me to this uh, important uh, seminar. Um, we have been uh, collaborating with Carnegie on this intellectual enterprise, which has been quite pleasing for us. And uh, congratulations to Eduardo and uh, his uh, colleagues who have prepared this uh, particular study. The title is quite ambitious, Employing India, um, which caught my attention from the very beginning. But thank you for your presentation. After the comprehensive presentation, I think my job is simpler to take up certain aspects of his presentation and to provide my own thinking to those. I would like to make five uh, major points. Uh, first, as Eduardo and Milan both have said, uh, this is a well-known, widely publicized program for addressing uh, poverty and human poverty. Um, but at the same time, uh, it has also come under very insightful and serious scrutiny because of its success, because of its um, magnitude, and so on and so forth. Um, and we all know that uh, this scrutiny has been in terms of its effectiveness, its operational efficiency, in terms of its impact on poverty and other forms of human deprivations. Uh, lots of evaluations and assessments have been done, um, both by the supporters of this pro program as well as its critics. And we know that on the table there are positive results and negative results, both from the critic as well as from the supporters. On the positive side, uh, people have said that jobs have been created, wages have been paid, females uh, have been participating, communities are benefiting uh, from these programs. On the negative side, uh, as Eduardo has mentioned, the leakages have been highlighted. Um, people have been saying, well, uh, the payment of wages are not to the extent where they are entitled to. Um, there have been evaluations which basically said that females have participated, but then they have handed over their money to their husbands. So therefore, the whole question of female empowerment or women's empowerment uh, can be questioned and so on and so forth. I think this particular study takes a different angle to the issues on the table. It assumes from the very beginning that um, effective job creation has been there, that payment of official program wages has been ensured, um, castes and tribes are participating in proportion um, in the jobs similar to the stated in program's official figures. So if those things happen, then it asks three fundamental questions. One, what is the macroeconomic and distributional implication of running such a program? And second, it explores the economic and distributional consequences if particularly diverting the program benefits from the poorest people. And third, and which is very important, it also explores again the macroeconomic um, and distributional implications if the program would have contained in its initial phase or if it is expanded. So therefore, the basic focus of this particular study is that on the basis of those assumptions to look at the macroeconomic and distributional implications of running this program, A, B, if the benefits are diverted from the poor, what would happen? 
and see if it is contained to its initial uh, size or if it is expanded, what would happen? So those are very important and very um, useful questions to ask. So I want to put that on the table to just to remind you that there is a <coughs> particular angle that this study has taken. The second point is that uh, Eduardo has alluded to it um, and, uh, a lot. The study looks at the overall issues, overall impacts, but it also has um, looked at the whole question of the distributional aspect and from a disaggregated perspective. So it looks at the impact from rural urban, from scheduled castes to scheduled tribes, um, from male, female, and that is important. And as Eduardo has mentioned, the impacts have been asymmetrical. In certain cases, it is positive. In certain cases, it is, it is negative. But the important point is that going beyond the averages and overall, by looking at those disaggregated numbers, it also provides a lot of insights for policymaking. Because from the disaggregated picture, you have a better understanding of the situation, and that helps policymakers um, to go for the kind of the policy instruments and the policies that can be really useful in this particular context. Uh, one of the issues I would like to highlight that India is a vast country. And when you disaggregate it, uh, yes, the castes, the marginalized groups, the vulnerable groups, they are important. But equally important is regional disparity. Punjab is not the same as Bihar and Jharkhand. So it may be useful to look at the impacts from the regional perspective also, from the different Indian states and how uh, they have been impacted on those different states. That would also give a lot of insights, particularly <coughs> at the state level and also local level for policy making. So that's something that can be explored uh, in future. Third, one of the uh, things for which this particular um, program has drawn a lot of attention around the world is a, the question of scalability of the program, and second, the replicability of the program. Um, in terms of the scalability, uh, yes, it's a huge program, it's a mammoth program, but still, as Eduardo has said, it is small compared to the millions of workers in the labor market. So therefore, if it needs to be scaled up, what are the challenges? So that's one set of questions. The other set of questions is that countries have shown a lot of interest in replicating this program. Uh, particularly in the BRICS countries, in Latin America, there's a huge interest in Nerega and the employment guarantee schemes. Now, apart from the larger countries like Brazil and others, there's also an increasing interest in number of LDCs or low-income countries in replicating this particular program. The question is, those countries, do they have the kind of the resource requirement and the fiscal space to initiate this program, to sustain this program? And the second question is, do they have the institutional capacity to run this program? Those are the two important questions of rep replicability. Because even in the Indian context, we know that the community participation, the whole question of the institutional mechanisms, there are lots of flaws. 
So therefore, if that is the case in India, if you try to replicate in a country like, I'm just uh, making it uh, uh, for a comparison in Bangladesh, for example, would it work? And we know that in Bangladesh, there is a program called the Rural Employment through the Public Assets, the RIOPA, for destitute women. It has got some impacts, but in a limited uh, way. So therefore, the whole question of the scalability as well as replicability are some of the issues that need to be looked at from the question of um, replicating the experiences of Narega in particularly LDCs and low-income countries as a, as a policy or as a strategy for poverty reduction. Fourth, I think uh, monitoring, assessment, and evaluation are key. Because through those processes, you get the lessons learned, uh, which direct you for um, course changes, which direct you to undertake other measures, and so on and so forth. Um, lots of the results uh, for uh, this particular program, in terms of evaluation and assessment, has come from auditing the program itself, basically. Um, but I think that if you want to really evaluate such a huge program, you also need specific evaluation instruments and evaluation framework which can provide consistent results for the questions and the issues related. So a proper evaluation framework for assessing such a big program is also a challenge. Uh, where the development practitioners need to uh, look at. Uh, my final comment is basically lots of people would be tempted, and I know that Eduardo has also alluded to that, uh, for a kind of a comparison between the conditional cash transfers and employment guarantee schemes. Both have been heralded as uh, instruments and approaches for poverty reduction. So therefore, um, a comparative uh, study or a comparative approach, a look at both uh, these types of programs would be something that would be very desirable. In general, I mean, I'm just generalizing. But if you generalize and if you assume uh, that, for example, um, the uh, employment guarantee schemes are well designed in terms of wage setting, it has the, uh, the capacity to create the required number of jobs. There are proper trainings. You avoid the distortions in the labor market and so on and so forth. I think there are three areas where um, employment guarantee scheme may be, seem to be better uh, compared to a CCT. One is the whole question of they can directly, employment guarantee schemes can directly improve employment skills of people. I mean, that's one. Second, um, employment guarantee scheme through um, public works can create assets. And that can help productivity of poor people, particularly in the activities where they're employed. For example, uh, construction of assets through the uh, employment guarantee schemes uh, in the construction sector can also um, increase output, which may, again, uh, create the demand for poor people for those kind of activities. And thirdly, um, the employment guarantee scheme can create public infrastructure, uh, for example, uh, which may have an implication on the dynamism of the labor market and through that uh, overall market. 
and uh, as a result, uh, there may be a, a development dynamism created. But when you uh, look at the uh, CCT, conditional cash transfer, again taking a very generalized view, um, there may be three or four areas or four things where CCT may be proven to be more effective than uh, employment guarantee scheme. Um, first, while the added income from both the programs can be used for enhancing the human capital, which I call the income uh, effect, the CCTs may induce larger investment among families which underinvest in their children's education, for example, which may be the price incentive effect. So their CCT may be better off. Um, the total cost of uh, transfer of one monetary unit to households may be lower in CCTs. Uh, that, that, that is what I think. And third, the administrative uh, capacity requirement for running the program may be lower in CCTs than the uh, employment guarantee schemes. And finally, I think the CCT account for the dependency ratio uh, in the sense that in the households it provides allowances for children. But the employment guarantee scheme doesn't do that it basically uh, looks at the adult members and um, employment of those adult members. So the total income would depend on how many adult members are participating in the, in the program there. Um, I think the whole study, building on my last point, would also uh, need to be read uh, alongside with another paper that Eduardo and Diana Alarcon, um, I think, has, have done in 2010. I think it's yeah. 2010 for the Chronic Research Poverty Center, um, which is a comparative study between CCTs and, uh, and uh, employment guarantee schemes. I don't remember the full title, but uh, if uh, my memory serves me right, uh, it's called the Employment Guarantee and uh, Conditional Cash Transfer Program for Poverty Reduction. Um, so that study would also give a lot of insights to some of the questions that are being raised in this particular study. But thank you, Eduardo, and congratulations, and thank you, Milan, for inviting me. And thank you. I think it's particularly interesting to hear about this program in a comparative context, uh, situating it not only with other programs which are similar in nature, but... Uh, in comparison with conditional cash transfer programs as well. Um, I have a lot of questions, but uh, in deference to the audience who has showed up on this uh, dreary morning, let me just kick it open to all of you, and then I'll jump in with a, with a few questions as we go along. Um, yes, please, sir. If you could just identify yourself. Uh, <coughs> Tom Timberg, consultant. Um, it, it indeed is a very you know, impressive stor uh, study, and as you say, particularly useful because it addresses some of the macroeconomic and uh, comparative issues that have been raised already and will be raised more. Uh, however, as you know, there's another fact about this, this scheme, which is that we have a remarkably, as you say, extensive uh, uh, amount of data on what it act its actual impact has been. Uh, at least through uh, 2007 or so, because the uh, National Sample Survey included specific questions on uh, the program. Now, 
As you say, the program has been considerably expanded since then, and perhaps next time somebody gets some data from a national sample survey, it will show something different. Given that, there are are a bunch of questions which uh, are obviously raised. Uh, You've raised a number of them implicitly, or not implicitly, explicitly in your your comments. Um, One is that it appears that there are a number of states where it hardly functions at all. It appears that there are a number of states in which the poor are not dealt with, and there are a number which are. One would think that what one now would like to do is look at the states which have, (coughs) if you will, overperformed, like Rajasthan, for example, and those that have underperformed, like, for various reasons, Bihar, and see what the social impacts are on the states, on poverty, etc. Now, it's confounded by the fact that obviously both of these states also have other things going on in them. So that's really a a question, if if that isn't a priority. The other thing that occurs to me is you ask about the comparison of the CCT. We're going to learn pretty quickly because somebody here probably knows more than I, but I gather the government of India has a plan for extensive CCT using these new UID identifiers and banks, etc., to pay money directly, Um, and we will see. And, And incidentally, we already have, though the Indian debate hasn't looked at it. We already have the experience of Pakistan, where the government has gone in very extensively for CCT at the same time that it has very extensive uh, public works program, no guarantee. Uh, The other comparator, uh, empirical comparator one would like to see um, is the state of Maharashtra, which has continued a separate employment guarantee scheme, which incidentally goofs up all of the figures that anybody has from the NSS from the, uh, for uh, the Mahatma Gandhi scheme, uh, but must lead again to a very interesting set of impacts. Uh, Edward, do you want to, I mean, I think there are two things on the table. One is thinking about what can be done with existing data rather than simulations to look at the comparative experience across Indian states. Uh, and, you know, do we know anything about that? Could uh, That's number one. And number two is, if you have any thoughts, either of you, on the move, which is underway in a, in a pilot, uh, to uh, use direct cash transfers uh, in uh, 20 districts or so in India for a small set of programs, um, and any thoughts you have on on that and whether or not uh, one could do a nice comparison, as you suggest, of looking at cash transfer schemes on the one hand versus employment guarantee. Okay. Well, on the first part, the simulations are done, are based on data. So it's it's just a way of asking the the data a question. It's not really detached from data. (coughs) It's data-driven, absolutely with lots of assumptions and things that you can learn from it. Uh, The other approach is looking at the data that you already have, do some assumptions, which means I can see these type of things and attribute them to factors, and then you make conclusions. So it's you at the end of the day, you are always making uh, assumptions and making conclusions. So this is data-driven, the first important part. And the simulations are 
crafted in a way that they reflect uh, what the official figures say about the program. That's important. And the official figures are, are public, uh, and everybody can contest them. So, that's a, so there are more or less, it's not like official f- figures that we got secretly or directly from the government office. No, they are public. You download them, and then you use them. So they are subject to criticisms as any other figure. So that's important to take into account. But second, in terms of, uh, of the data in which you can see what happened exposed, as it's, it's called in the jargon, yeah, the, the 2010 National Sample Survey that includes whether or not you receive a benefits from a Nariga shows already that it does have an impact in poverty reduction and it does have good targeting in terms of covering basically the poor. So it's good. The, the result is good. The data is there and the program is there. So... But this is data that just came out. And to do a simulation on that, which can be done, looking backwards, uh, can be done, you will need to calibrate that data to the latest national accounts, which is another story. So therefore, this is done with pre-programmed data. So you say, well, what about if in that pre-programmed data I insert a program of these characteristics? And what is that it happens? So that's, a, a, that's just to say that it is, a, it is data-driven. A, we can defend what, what we found as data-driven analysis. And uh, there are other methodologies. And other methodologies say that it is consistent what, with what we, uh, we found. Uh, so that's the, the, the important part. Uh, I want to uh, take the opportunity to, to talk about uh, the guarantee part, which I didn't mention. And that's a result that comes out of the, of the evaluation of the National Sample Survey that is, that is not guaranteeing jobs. Okay? Why? Because if you make assumptions of what would be the likely demand of a program like this, and you compare those with what you are actually getting, you, you can, there's a big distance. So uh, that's... Uh, that's uh, something to keep in mind. It's not guaranteeing jobs. And if you look at the set, uh, it's a large set of, uh, uh, of evaluations that go locally or state-wise, or they compare Bihar with, uh, with, whatever, with several regions, good and bad, uh, with samples designed to capture very well results, then you will see uh, in those analyses that it's not guaranteeing jobs, but it's having the impacts of reducing poverty, improving wages, and uh, de- decreasing distressed migrations in various uh, forms and in various measures. But it's doing, it's having that impact. So it's more or less right. Cash transfers. Uh, in, in the study, we say that, uh, which is something that Selim uh, mentioned, is when you look at, if you are trying to do poverty reduction with a work program, you are basically allocating money to households according to the capacities and needs of labor of each household. That is, if it's a household that has a lot of children 
and only two adults, then the capacity of labor is very small. Probably only one, because the other one will have to take care of the children. Okay? If you look at a family that has already four people that can work and only two people that cannot work, then that is a, a household that would be, that would get a lot of benefit from a work program because it has four potential people that can enroll. Okay? The, if you do cash transfer, that's the opposite. Okay? You, you will allocate more money to those that are, have uh, uh, children and less money to those that have a lot of adults because they already went above the, uh, the education uh, years, the primary education years. Now, my, uh, and there are economic effects that, are, that, are, uh, that should be taken into account. For example, we, we see in the model that the employment part of the program increases the cost of living for the rural poor. It does that by a little, okay? And that little does not compare. Uh, it's far, far from for the benefits that households are getting. So they were not even know about it. But the problem is, is, is the program fails to reach the poor or by design or by implementation, by design because it's, reaching, it's not reaching household, uh, poor households that have a lot of children because they don't have labor potentialities or because they fail to to, to implement it because the institutional setup is very poor in that region, then uh, you will see an increase in the cost of living without the benefits. So that's an important part. So if, if you ask me is, well, yeah, implement a cash transfer, transfer program in, in India, but don't lift, don't take out the work program. Do you want to say anything on that? No. Uh, Abhilaksh, why don't you uh, say a word about yourself? We have an expert here on rural development uh, in India who has great familiarity with these programs. Uh, my name is Abhilaksh. I am uh, a fellow at uh, SAIS, Johns Hopkins. Uh, I think one important element uh, in the Narega program is the grassroots role of uh, local government, yeah. local self-government, that is the Panchayati Raj institutions. Uh, what are your observations? Because it's it's for the first time probably that uh, the rural local self-governance institutions are systemically and structurally upfront in implementing the scheme, whereas they find a mention in all other centrally sponsored schemes in India. So that's one big change with this right-based program. Any observations or thoughts that the panelists would have that? And two, uh, I think the relevant point on either scaling it or increasing it, what do you see the possibility of uh, public-private partnerships? Because as of now, the public works are probably only unskilled works meant for the rural poor. Uh, what are your what are your views on on uh, on what kind of public private partnerships can be built if the program is to expand? Do you want to field any of those? Um, particularly, both questions. On the first one, um, I don't know the Indian context uh, very well. Maybe. Uh, Eduardo can talk about it. But if we look at similar program in Bangladesh, the RIOPA that I have mentioned, um, 
I think the in the Bangladesh case is Union Parishad, not the Panchayat. But uh, the local government are very much involved, particularly in the implementation part of it. I think there has been a good division of work or responsibilities between the central government and the local government. And when I talk about the local government, it's not only the local public administration, but also the local NGOs, uh, the local communities in terms of implementation, in terms of uh, deciding on the design of the program of the rural employment through public assets, um, um, identifying the uh, beneficiary groups and also monitoring and implementation. So I, I'm pretty sure that in the Indian context also, since the local government is also quite um, developed, uh, the um, possibilities would be there. The other thing in the Indian context, I think there's a huge representation of women at the local level, particularly at the panchayat level. So the whole question of uh, women's empowerment and female participation may get a new perspective and new boost there. On the public-private partnership, um, I think in the public works program, uh, increasingly the private sector uh, wants to be uh, part of that particular program. But the question is, what private sector? Because private sector is a kind of a term that we are using a, a, as a homogeneous term. It's not homogeneous. You have the multinationals working in countries like India and Bangladesh. You also have small and medium uh, scale enterprises. Then you have the whole informal sector. So therefore, um, when you talk about the partnership, uh, whether you can bring the informal sector, small and medium uh, enterprises, and the private sector who are reflective of those organizations is something that we can explore there. But at the same time, there is uh, fear among different people that if you try to engage the private sector without the kind of the contours and the parameters of their engagement, the whole thing might be hijacked, uh, which may be a real fear in the context of many developing countries. Do you want to comment on either the local government, the role of Panchayati Raj, or the PPPs? Well, uh, I'm, yeah, I can comment uh, on both. Uh, on the community involvement, uh, I think it, the, what is, the big discussion is that the, the program limits the type of works that you can do to those that are labor-intensive. Okay? It, it, it has a requirement of labor versus other costs, so, so, uh, so on and so forth. So you cannot do very, com <coughs> very complicated things, and you cannot hire contractors under any circumstance. So it rules out the private sector that has been uh, nurturing in these work programs for a long time when we're defined uh, uh, in a different way. But uh, so in that sense, uh, it's not a rural development program. It's not. But it has its contributions to rural development. Uh, the, the key issue of being community-driven is that it can use local resources more effectively and can decide on the type of assets more efficiently. And, and that is a big plus uh, for any program. Uh, and I think that's a, a great uh, a contribution of the entire design. So the cost is that, yes, you cannot do wonderful things, but with little money, you can do things that are very useful. And if you evaluate 
properly, which is something uh, is, is still you need to have. In, in what sense? Not from the national uh, sample survey, but with a specific national representative survey that looks at these questions, uh, then we could discuss what are the effects. But in principle, that's, it has a cost, but it has great benefits. And at the time, I would say, um, we decide of going with the benefits rather than emphasizing the cost. Uh, in terms of the private sector, uh, the, the word that Selim used, the hijacking the program, uh, and talking on about exportability. Talking about exportability, <laughs> I was invited uh, even before the launching of the, of the publication, because they knew I was doing it with, all, with my colleagues, I was invited by the Mexican government, not because I'm Mexican, uh, <laughs> to discuss uh, in private, uh, off the record, the possibility of doing an employment guarantee program in certain areas of Mexico geared only or mainly to women pros and cons, okay? And then you have the big lobby of opportunidades, right? Which they will be in favor of whatever social program, but it's, it's gonna compete with their program. And they have a big tradition, it was, and it's born in a tradition of thinking, economic thinking about how to address poverty reduction that doesn't like necessarily work programs, okay? And what was the main discussions that we, uh, uh, among the several issues that we were discussing that, uh, one important item was one point, according to me, of course, one point that I made about local markets and capabilities of development. And this is driven from the, from the review of the literature. It's not something that uh, it came to me visiting a village. Uh, the point, the very important point is that when you have situations of development where you are infraperforming, it's very difficult to get market efficient markets going. You are paying very low wages. People can barely survive with them. They don't believe in markets. And all the benefits are sucked in by an elite and not reinvested in the local economy. That's a development problem, okay? How do you break that? Well, you get people immigrating from rural areas. It's a long process. Another way is, well, you put a, a program that breaks that monopsony power of the few uh, people with resources that can hire other people that have land property uh, deficiencies. They have, they have, all they have is the labor, very little uh, land, and they don't have job opportunities. So if you create an alternative source, which is the guaranteeing of the job, even if it's not effective, the monopsony Fails the competition and is forced to increase the wage. And if it's forced to increase the wage, the wage and you hire those people, then our numbers show that it would have positive economic consequences after you have hired them. 
So that's the importance. So in a way, you are breaking the monopsony power of an imperfect market and creating the possibilities of a more competitive local market-driven economy via decisive public intervention. Uh, that's, a, that's a point, that's a point that we raised, uh, uh, that I, I raised with a colleague, uh, with Diana Larkon in the paper later published, and in this publication we only mentioned to it uh, briefly. So Salim wanted to ask you a question, Abilash, but before he does that, uh, can we collect a couple of questions if there are others out there? Any, any others? Go ahead, do you want to ask? Uh, no, I, I mean, uh, I know that this is an interactive uh, dialogue, so, and I would like to take the advantage of your presence here. India also pursued for quite a long time the um, integrated rural development program, and now there is Nerega. So my question to you is a simple one. I mean, do you see any comparison between the two? And if there is a comparison, what would be your take on that? I think the Could you bring, I mean, actually bring the mic closer to you? The first major difference uh, would be the rights issue. The integrated development program was never a rights-based program. Nerega is. Um, integrated rural development program, uh, as it came down from the central government, was again very centralized. There was not much leeway for utilizing local resources or local assets with a certain flexibility. That is the second major difference. Uh, third, I think uh, the the failure of projects uh, happened on a large rate. For instance, small lo loans given to petty shopkeepers to start a shop were misutilized. So the banks did not uh, get the repayments back. Uh, th that that was that was uh, uh, a big uh, step backwards. Mm. I think the the main the main difference is uh, the right based uh, uh, stru structurally to uh, the flexibility involved in Narega available at the local level. That that's a major difference. And the integrated rural development program was centrally driven, yeah. uh, which which uh, at that time probably was found necessary uh, necessary, but uh, it had to change with times as these right based programs came. I mean, I wanted to ask you a question about the financing, because I think that's really a critical question as we look out into the Indian economy and the real concerns about the deficit, about uh, perhaps this government has, uh, the criticism of this government is that it's let, uh, quote-unquote, populist welfare spending uh, expand in an unsustainable way, and, and now they uh, uh, are potentially going to be punished for letting the economy um, uh uh, suffer the consequences. So, you know, is this a assumption built into the model that this is sort of a potentially a self-financing program that you wouldn't have to increase taxes, that this could be sustainable? How realistic is that in the sense that we know that tax collection has been uh, not as great as the finance ministry would have hoped? Uh, that they are often overpromise and then underdeliver, and we saw that again in the budget. You know, there were a lot of smoke and mirrors in terms of uh, projections about what kind of revenue, uh, what the revenue intake would be. So, could you? I mean, I think I see that as one of the major criticisms of a variety of social schemes going on. Whether it's this, whether it's SSA in primary education, whether it's the uh, 
uh, narrow urban renewal mission. I mean, there's a number of schemes uh, which are deemed to be somewhat unsustainable given the realities about revenue and declining growth. Well, I think you you have uh, about three or four questions <laughs> in that one. Um, the first question is how we, when you have a program, you have uh, several options by which you can finance it. Uh, one, you can get donors to finance it. Then your problems are monetary in a way, your exchange rate, so on and so forth. We didn't take that uh, approach. The program is basically financed nationally uh, with some support from UNDP, but mainly operational. Um, So how do you finance it? Well, you can finance it by increasing the deficit. Okay? which is not sustainable, right? Uh, As any other increase in the deficit, just by itself. You can also finance it by substituting and closing other programs and financing this. Or you can finance it, as it has been done uh, in several quarters, uh, by making a more efficient use of public revenues. Uh, and then you reduce luxury expenditure, you reduce this, you reduce that. And there, there are things that can be done and have been done in several places uh, in that way. What we choose is to do the most transparent way, in which is the cost of doing a program, which is someone has to pay, is immediately apparent. And in this case, you can also de- do a political economy analysis because you are going to have people opposing the program, which is the one that pay taxes, and people happy about the program, which are obviously the ones receiving the jobs. But in between, what is, what is that is happening? So what we show is that the unhappy people shouldn't be that unhappy because it's not a big cost. The happy people should be very happy because it's a big benefit. And in between, uh, there are benefits too. There are other sections of the population that are benefiting, and they should be uh, happy about it. But on the happy people, I mean, I think this is where the sort of rubber meets the road, right? I mean, there are a lot of unhappy people who should be receiving benefits from this program who are not. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we know that if you look at the evaluation work that's gone on at the micro level, there have been faked muster rolls, there have been money which has been embezzled by local government rather than given uh, over to the people who, uh, who, uh, who did the work. I mean, I know, uh, uh, I'd be interested, Rick uh, Rosso here just returned from Bihar. I don't know if you looked at this. When I was in Bihar in 2010, there was a tremendous amount of disenchantment with Narega, you know, and people, you would talk to them in their villages and they would show you their job cards Right? They say, well, I work so many days, but I have nothing in my card because uh, the uh, a local panchayat leader has, uh, has, has, has taken the money. And I've, I've, so so there's, there's a question, I think, both on the self-sustaining financing side, but also on are the happy people receiving the benefits as happy as the simulations uh, might lead us to believe? Okay. Well, that's a different question. The first question of the financing is the, right. is the one that I was addressing. Yeah. That can be done that way. Uh, another question is, well, India is doing poorly, but it's doing greatly compared to other countries. 
greatly and what in terms, terms? Of, in terms of growth in terms of the management of the deficit that's a, that's a, another issue too in which you can run a simulation in which whatever you do gdp is going to decrease if you, if you increase government expenditure the one that we did and we are very clear about it is a keynesian multiplier so what that does is it goes into the discussion that running public expenditure is not necessarily, it's not always an evil. It depends on how you do it. So that's how we insert it into the macro discussion. So in terms, and the other important part is, well, yeah, it sounds impressive, 50 million households, but it still is small. So if the discussion is, I'm sure there will, you could find many other uh, budget items in which you can cut before you get to this one. And I was doing the political economy of it because uh, even taking into account those, in political economy terms, it would be difficult to say, well, I'm sorry, this is a failure, we are not going to continue the program. I happen to be in the, continu in the breakdown of the Mexican political institutions when a, a party that was 70 years in power lost elections and a new party or new something came into power. And I happened to be part of that for some, some reason. And the big discussion is, well, shall we continue the cash transfer program? Because it's from the former party and it's bad. And a, well, so after discussion, there's no way you can lift it. There's no way you can leave. Let's just change the name of the program. <laughs> and we continue as before. And we expanded, actually. Lula, same thing. Bolsa Familia was not his program. Was not his program. Yeah. He came to power, and then the discussion, I was invited to a closed-doors discussion. And what shall we do? <laughs> well, don't lift it. Uh, it's clear. Once those programs that do some good it's difficult to lift. Others that don't do that much of good are also least difficult to lift, but this is an important one. Now, in terms of the uh, unhappy people, yes, we are aware of those problems. And we, we referred uh, to studies that show the corruption. I, ha I went to a village in where Nariga was operating and nobody knew about it, okay? Yeah, I, I, I have seen it myself too. Uh, but it's a, what, what do you do in a country with poor institutions? It has poor institutions for development. It has poor institutions for markets, too. So one approach is you assume we have markets. And then we do full liberalization and shock treatment. And then you have the Russian experience, the Russian effects. Or... You say, well, we cannot assume there is no corruption. We cannot assume there is going to be uh, assets that are going to be useless. But let's give it a try. So that's why we say work in progress. Uh, yeah, it's, it's work in progress. And it's part of the development. As you build a program like the, the good thing, as you were pointing out, is that it, since it's based, community-based, you are developing 
important community institutions that would be later relevant for market development. So it's a way forward. It's a way of taking some steps. It's not a magic solution. Anyone else want to get in? Rick? Well, I will mention, uh, you know, Millen mentioned I was just in, in, uh, in Bihar, but I was only in Patna, and it did come up. I wasn't looking for questions about uh, real employment guarantee, but it did come up several times because a lot of business owners in Patna also, you know, own uh, farmland outside of, uh, outside of the city, and, and they kept complaining about it uh, in terms of the unhappy folks on the increase in labor costs to keep people on the field there. So uh, one perhaps, you know, direct... Uh, for your uh, presentation there, impact of uh, a rural public guarantee in Bihar is that uh, labor costs are going up. So I guess for the people, that's good. For the landholding English-speaking elite in, in Patna, maybe not so good. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> uh, anyone else have any comments or questions on for, for Eduardo on this? Let me just end maybe then with the question about, you know, are there ways in which you think uh, we could get a change of government, potentially. I mean, it's uh, up for discussion. No one really knows what's going to happen if uh, when elections are held in 2014. But assuming, for instance, we got a change of government, or even if we will we'll probably get a different prime minister, even if the current government continues, uh, there is an opportunity to rethink a number of social welfare schemes. And without getting into the idea of, well, let's just eliminate the program or, or keep it going, are there ways in which the program you think can be uh, adjusted or tweaked or fixed, drawing on other experiences that would make it more effective? We know that we have weak institutions. We know that uh, one reason India likes centrally sponsored schemes is because although there is uh, local governance and in and, and a, and a process of democratic participation, there's a lot of elite capture at the local level. There's a lot of decentralized corruption. Um, so you have a lot of problems. You have weak institutional capacity. Are there ways in which you could design this or adjust it without eliminating it that would be helpful? Have, 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 have you and your colleagues considered uh, what tweaks could be put into place? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, in, the, in the graph, the, the first graph that I show you, we saw the program expanding and then sort of reaching a plateau or even decreasing a little bit. And is expanding or reaching perhaps a, a, a ceiling way before what we would have expected as a really effective guarantee program addressing poverty. So that's a major source of concern. My telling you that we are either reaching institutional capacity, we are even reaching the top uh, Capacity of implementation of poverty reduction with this scheme might be okay. Now, when you when you have a program, uh, I, I was thinking in terms of a joke. It's too bad that the uh, this uh, betting system in which you can bet on any kind of event, we could bet probably probably on whether the program is going to be lifted up or not. I would bet that it will will not be uh, be lifted. It would be a shame if it's, if it's abandoned and just uh, preserved on the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, and in terms of what changes, I think programs have a cycle in which if you don't give them enough time 
or a fair chance, you cannot properly evaluate them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that I would say. First question is, is this the right time to make a decision of whether we just leave it, leave it stagnating or lifting it? Or we really have to revamp the entire design? Uh, I think still we are at the point in which there is a lot to be done uh, and improvements to be done within the scheme that has been set. And that, that, is a, that's, that has relevance for India, but not only for India, but for other countries. Because what is really required is that you have more or less a vibrant civil society with participation, which you don't have in India and you don't have anywhere else in the developing world. So it's really part of the challenge. So I would say it would be premature to attempt a major redesigning of the program. I would say, yeah, you can uh, improve here and there, but basically keep it as it is and uh, address the major issue of why it stopped growing. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it, it stopped growing because there was a major decision is do not do any more promotion and do not send any more people to do it or because this is as far as you can go with the local balances of power in which the local people oppose it and if they oppose it there are ways in which they can uh, really prevent its evolution. So. Great. That's what I would suggest. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, Eduardo. And, and, and Salim had to leave. He was called last night to go on an emergency mission to Tanzania for UNDP, so he had to literally catch a flight out to Tanzania. Um, but thank you very much, and, and I hope all of you will, will take the opportunity to pick up a copy of the report, which is just outside, and, and have a look and, and look forward to seeing you. And thank you again for coming uh, on this uh, rainy morning. And uh, if you could join me in giving Eduardo a round of applause. Thanks very much. Thanks.